The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Always a pleasure to have you joining us here on the Paul Leslie Hour. And before we get started on the interview, I want to report back on my recent trip to Peachtree City, Georgia. I had the chance to see jazz trumpet star Chris Bodie and his wonderful band in concert at the Frederick Brown Jr. Amphitheater. This was my first time going to the Fred, as it's commonly called. And let me just tell you what a beautiful experience this was in every aspect. This was my first time seeing Chris Bodie in concert. I've been a fan of his recordings, but I had never seen one of his shows. He is a marvel to experience. And every single musician on that stage belonged on that stage. He was funny. He was cordial and warm with the audience. Of course, his playing is just phenomenal. And let me tell you about the variety of music that we heard. Sometimes jazz musicians get this reputation for being a little snobby, like, I'm this amazing artist and I'm going to play these jazz standards and what I do is so over your head. That's not the case with Chris Bodie. Yes, he did play some jazz standards. For example, I didn't know this. Last night was 60 years to the day from Miles Davis's Kind of Blue album being recorded. He played a selection from that album, but he also played the standard Over the Rainbow. He had this phenomenal violin player. My wife was just enamored with her. This violin player is named Sandy Cameron, and she was just spectacular. She played at one point an interpretation of the Led Zeppelin song, Cashmere. The evening closed with a nod to perhaps the most legendary trumpet player of all time, Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world. As we were looking out into the evening, the stars up above us, the Fred is an open-air amphitheater. You could hear the cicadas or whatever those night bugs are that you hear in the summer. And it almost seemed at times that the music was playing in unison with the night bugs. The venue was just wonderful. As I said, it was my first time at the Fred. All of the staff, very, very cordial, greeting you warmly, and when you leave, wishing you a wonderful evening, which we did have, and you could just feel the vibrations from all of the people. My wife said, it felt like we were living again, and that's the point of music, isn't it? Thank you very much to Chris Bodie his band, all of the wonderful guest artists who joined him. And I have to give thanks to Chris Adamson. My night was in many ways courtesy of him. So on to the interview of this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. Full disclosure, one of my absolute favorite albums of all time is called Figments. Figments is the album from Anton Fig. He is known to many as the drummer on The Late Show with David Letterman. He was the drummer for almost the entire late-night career of David Letterman, with the exception of a brief tenure at the beginning from Steve Jordan. He is a songwriter, drummer, recording artist, 
I hope one day he comes out with another album because I enjoyed Figment so much. One of my favorite tracks on that album, Figments, is called Tears, which features the trumpet playing of Chris Bode. It is an absolutely beautiful song. This interview was recorded over the telephone quite a few years back. It was broadcast on the radio. I recommend you check out that album, Figments, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Anton Fig. He is an incredible artist, a nice guy, and he has performed and recorded with the greatest artist in history. Enjoy. A big thank you and welcome to Mr. Anton Fig for being our special guest today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mr. Fig, one of the things that someone would first notice when they listen to your album, Figments, is just the variety of the music. So many different styles on one album. And I was wondering, especially about the world music influence, I know you grew up in South Africa, and I was wondering if your growing up there had a, an influence on your songwriting. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, when I was growing up in South Africa, I mean, it was quite a while ago, and our link to the outside world was via shortwave radio. We used to tune into uh, Lorenzo Marx, which is Mozambique now, and we would hear the stuff that was coming from overseas, from from Europe, basically, via that radio. And that's where I kind of got my rock education, but there was also the African music that was, uh, you know, indigenous to South Africa. That music is much like what you hear on the Graceland record by Paul Simon, if you take away the vocals and just listen to the instrumentals. So I heard a lot of that kind of music growing up. And then my mom played classical piano, and my dad was like really into jazz. So I got like a pretty wide variety of influences. You know, growing up in South Africa, you know, it was a completely different flavor to say growing up, you know, somewhere in, in America, music-wise and culturally. One of the songs that I really, really liked, and I was wondering about the influence behind it, was uh, Three, Four Folk. It's sort of inspired by like like a um, kind of West African style rhythms where the song, it's like it was like a folk song, but the song could be heard in like either in three four time or in four four time. And a lot of that music, you know, you have instruments playing it in the two different times at the same time, and just depending on how you listen to it, you can hear it both ways. So I was trying to kind of create that aspect. And also, when I was when I came to America, I was very into um, Weather Report. And one of the ways that they used to write songs was it wasn't necessarily like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, like a typical pop song, they would write songs in a linear fashion, so there may be like an A section, you know, a B section, and then it would go on to a C section, and it would kind of, the form wouldn't really repeat, it would just move in in a sort of one direction. And so that song kind of does that as well. It just kind of, uh, I think I do repeat the verse and the chorus, but after that it just kind of moves into new sections, so... The form of the song was inspired by that, but the rhythms definitely came from a sort of an African-style device of, of hearing three and four at the same time. The album has a lot of great musicians on it, some from the Late Night Show, but also people like Brian Wilson, Ivan Neville, Ace Frehley. I was wondering if you thought anyone in particular really shines on the album. Well, I think they all do. I've been lucky in that I've... I've played with lots of different people and in lots of different circumstances. So I'm mostly called on 
my friends and people that I'd played with to kind of help me out on the record. And I try to sort of uh, place combinations of people. It wasn't just like, let's see who we can get. I try to kind of get the right combinations for the right band. So, like, for example, the song with Ace, I got Richie Scarlett. We used to play in Fraley's Comet together and Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. I thought, like, that would be a good combination for that particular song. Um, and the Brian Wilson song that Brian's on, I have Blondie Chaplin singing vocals, and Blondie's a, an old friend of mine from South Africa, and I've played with him a lot, and he's currently singing uh, with the Stones. He's been with the Stones for the last 10 years, but he sang Sail on Sailor with the Beach Boys. He used to be in the Beach Boys, so I had Blondie singing and Brian doing the background vocals, so it kind of made sense from that point of view. Actually, you know, there's a really great moment. If you go past all the songs and let the record just play a little bit, the CD... There's a little hidden track, and I took Brian's vocal harmonies and took the music away, so you just hear the vocals by themselves. That's an incredible moment. A lot of people on the album are from the CBS Late Night Orchestra, and I was just wondering how you started with the show. Uh, well, you know, there's not a lot. There's some. I mean, there's about 40 different people on the record, and, the you know, the Letterman, I maybe used four people from the band or five, you know, but uh, what happened was I was playing around New York City, and uh, I had done a record. I played with uh, Will and Paul and Hiram on a few different projects. And towards, in the mid-'80s, I actually did a, a record with Paul Butterfield, a blues player from Chicago, and Paul was on the record. Steve Jordan was the regular drummer on the show. And, you know, when he couldn't make it, they would have various substitute drummers, and one day they called me. I mean, it took a while. But I guess everyone was out of town, and eventually they called me, and I substituted for a few weeks. Then Steve came back, and then he had to leave again. You know, about a month later, Paul called me up and said, it looks like Steve is leaving the show. And, uh, you know, I don't know what happened there. There was whatever mutual reasons. And um, he said, uh, you know, we like the way you substituted, and you can have the gig if you want it. Thought about it for about a split second, <laughs> and I uh, said, fine. I saw the episode where there was a performance from Figment. I thought it was interesting. Do you think overall that Dave Letterman is, is supportive, like the Will Leah solo effort, various solo projects from the members yeah. of the orchestra? Well, I think that he likes the band. He likes the music. Very supportive of the music. You know, he's, he's always commenting about how great the band sounds. And I gave him a copy of the record. And, you know, one night they called and said, Dave really loves this. You know, I'd like to book you on the show which I thought was really very, very supportive of him uh, and really, really great. You know, I just basically we picked the song and uh, with the Ivan Neville one, Inside Out, I got Blondie to sing backgrounds on it. And uh, Randy Brecker, the jazz trumpet player, uh, you know, plays the solo on the record, so I got him to play the solo. It was very generous of Dave and it was a fantastic experience to uh, play the song on the show. Is there anyone in the uh, orchestra that you feel exceptionally close to. I know you probably get along with everyone, of course. Yeah, well, you know, it's a, I feel close to everyone there because, I mean, I, like, I'm very thankful uh, to Paul for, for hiring me. You know, he's the leader. Will is a fantastic musician. Felicia, I mean, they all are fantastic musicians. You know, but I see the guys every day, and I, I feel close to all of them. I can't single anyone out. It's just great to be with that whole combination. Do you envision uh, a second Anton Fig album? Yeah, I'd like to do that. And uh, at the moment, I've been uh, 
doing some film music and I've been playing on records and also been doing like recording drum files and sending it to people across the country. And I do foresee another record, but I don't know when that'll be because I've sort of, it's a lot of work. It took me a long time to do. When you do a project by yourself, you know, if you don't feel like working that day, the whole project stops. It's a lot to take on. You've got to make sure you've got the right material in place. And then, you know, once you've done the record, which is the really fun part, you've got to try and get it out there, which is, you know, difficult. The, the way the business is now, even though there's the internet, and that helps a lot, it's prohibitive to get it into the advertising and on the radio. It's so expensive. So, you know, those are all things to consider before embarking on a huge project. But I definitely will be doing something, you know, whether it's a second record or maybe a a smaller thing, an EP of some kind, or there, there definitely will be some more stuff coming from me. I saw uh, Jordan Zivon a couple of weeks ago on The Late Show. I know Warren Zivon had such a relationship with the show. I was looking at one of my absolute favorite Warren Zivon songs, and I noticed that you played on Genius. I was wondering what it was like working with Warren Zivon. Well, it was great. You know, I worked with him a lot on the show because when Paul couldn't make the show, they got Warren as the keyboard player, and then, but they made me the band leader. So I was sort of, you know, behind conducting the band and kind of doing the cues for the day and figuring out what to play. And then we did, you know, Warren songs, obviously. I conducted the band, and then Warren, you know, played keyboards and spoke to Dave uh, now and then. And you know, he's very funny and an incredible songwriter. It was fantastic, like learning all his material. And then he called me up and said, you know, would you like to play? I'm doing an album. My ride's here. Would you like to play on the record? So, of course, I jumped at the chance. And we went into a little studio. He flew to New York. And basically, it was just me and him in the studio. He had some stuff already down on on pro, on tape, you know, Pro Tools. And so I just kind of, over the course of a weekend or two, just put all my drum tracks down and percussion overdubs. It was a great experience. I mean, basically, it was just me and him and an engineer in the studio. And then he went back to L.A. and he just, I think he put a little bass on and, and just finished it. What was it like working with Ace Freely? Yeah, well, you know, I've worked with Ace since he did the um, solo record, his solo record, which had New York Groove and Rip It Out on it, and some of the records that he did with his band. When he came and played on my record, he was actually in the middle of a tour. He just ran up to my uh, apartment, put a few solos on. And then we just kind of, you know, edited it around. You know, he's always been a good friend. He's a great player. Always had a good vibe and a good friendship. It's really fun to work with him. He's great. You know, what can I say? He means a lot to a lot of people and means a lot to me too. Was there anything on the album that you found in particular was a favorite of yours? Not really. I mean, I, you know, I listened to the songs and, you know, certain things sort of, resonate more with me at a certain time than others, but I really kind of, you know, like the whole record. There was one thing, if I say I hadn't a regret, at the end of January, February, March, I had a drum solo, which I decided to leave off the final version of the song on the record, and, you know, I was maybe sorry that I did that. Beyond that, I mean, I like all of it. They're all very different songs. They sort of keep your interest going. I try to make it so that if you decided to follow any instrument right through the song, it would like kind of be interesting and, and take your ear, or if you could just listen to the song as a whole. So 
I really kind of worked hard to make each song like a little journey that you could kind of work your way through. Even though it was completed um, a year or two ago, it still sounds pretty current to me. It's not, I didn't use any like fancy tricks or fads or anything like that. So it feels like a good, solid record that should hold up for a while. I was wondering, in your course of time with The Late Show, you certainly played with uh, just a lot of amazing artists, and I know it'd be hard to pinpoint just a couple. Were there any in particular that were it was a, it was especially memorable for you? Being a player with Miles Davis on the show was very memorable because I've been a huge Miles Davis fan, and to get a chance to play under him was great. You know, to play with James Brown was unbelievable. The spring scene was unbelievable. Stevie Winwood, Willie Nelson. I think, you know, just to have the, have the chance to play Miles Davis was pretty profound for me. And, and we actually, I actually got to play James Brown a few times. You know, when you play with a really, really great guy, you know, you're sort of playing away there and, you, and you're thinking, man, these guys sound exactly like the real guys. And, you know, and, and of course it is them. You're not playing in a, like a cover band. You're playing with the actual guys themselves. That really raises the energy level up. It makes you really concentrate and play harder and very thankful for having the, the opportunity to have the experience. When someone listens to your music, is there anything in particular that uh, you hope that they get out of it? I hope that it takes them somewhere takes them on some kind of a journey. Maybe some of the words resonate with them, but it's, you know, that the music kind of takes them to a place. I've gotten a lot of people have written back to me and told me that they've really gotten a lot of, out of my CD. I didn't try and do anything. I just sort of did it the way that I heard it. And when I'd kind of heard everything, the music was done kind of thing. It's like sometimes it's hard to know just when to stop, but it's like, I don't know how to describe it. I just did it to the best of my ability. I don't know, you know, how that will hit people, but I hope that it hits them in a, in a positive and fulfilling way. My last question, given that this program goes out all over the world, I was wondering what Anton Fig would like to say to the world. could always use a bit of peace. I don't understand why there's all this fighting going on. I know humans have been fighting ever since we've been on the world. In the world, you know, I know there's lots of differences between people. Everyone's entitled to their differences, but it's not worth killing someone over. Hopefully we can all get along a little better. Well, Mr. Fig, I do thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed talking to you. This common language that we use Where everybody... Goodbye.